0: How's everybody doing? It's Jason here with Zion ID. Uh, today, we're covering the topic of angels again, part two. Uh, once again, I'll be quoting extensively from Donald Perry's excellent book titled Angels. Real original, I know. Uh, but uh, man, Perry just does a phenomenal job, and it's worth doing a book review on it. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, to begin today's podcast, I'm going to recount a quick story. Coop came in to me one morning. He said, Dad, did you hear about the Angels game last night? I said, no. He said, man, Mike Trout is giving a press conference, and he's talking about Angels and the afterlife, and it's amazing. And so we looked into it, and we, you know, I found out that on the front page of the LA Times, um, it was called Angels in the Outfield." You know, a little play on words from an old movie that I think came out in the 1990s. But anyway, one of the Angels pitchers named Tyler Skaggs had passed away. And so the team was going to honor Skaggs. Every member of the team wore number 45. And, uh, you know, they wanted to make it a special night. So to begin the night, they had Tyler's mother named Debbie uh, throw out the first pitch. Debbie threw a perfect strike. Then the team scored seven runs in the first inning, and they finished the game with 13 runs. Well, 7-13 is Skaggs' birthday. Uh, Mike Trout, the first pitch he saw that night, he swung at it. Usually he doesn't swing at the first pitch. He hit the home run 454 feet. Any way you slice or dice it, that comes out to the number 45, just like Skaggs. So after experiencing this in the post-game press conference, Mike Trout just said, you can't make this stuff up. He said, I'm speechless. Um, All of us knew that Skaggs was with us tonight. Um, We know that there was really something special in the air. It's hard to put it in words, but we experienced it. And so, you know, how interesting we've talked about living symbology and we've talked about how God reaches different people in different ways. He speaks to them in their own language. You know, maybe, just maybe, this, uh, this Mike Trout, Tyler Skaggs, Angels in the Outfield Night was a subtle reminder to people that, yes, God does exist. Yes, the afterlife does exist. Tyler Skaggs is not gone. You know, he's still alive and well, and he's able to influence. And, you know, some angels influence in a big way, some in a small way. But nevertheless, angels can influence things here in mortality. You know, we know that the Lord has his saints on earth, and we know that he also has a team on the other side of the veil. And that team is made up of angels, people who have passed on from this earth or who have yet to come to this earth but nevertheless are very interested in all of the happenings uh, that are going on. Um, My dad also recounted to me an interesting story, and I thought it was, you know, the last podcast I did was about angels. To tell you the truth, I haven't spent much time thinking about angels during my life. Um, But since that last, last podcast, I've been hearing a lot of stories Um, about I taught an elders quorum meeting and I had a number of the brethren come up to me after and tell stories of you know angels we talked about angels in one of our family councils when we were doing you know at home church and I asked the kids if they had had experiences with angels and bam their hands went right up and they started talking about the one time our car was saved when we slid on ice and we were saved by angels so yeah you know angels do exist, but anyway, the experience that my dad offered up is a real <laughs> perplexing one. He said uh, one week one of the boat mechanics came up to him and he said, "Hey Walt, you know whatever happened to that uh, that one boat that you got for free?" And, you know, a number of years ago there was a a boat that had been abandoned and it was going to go to the wrecking yard. But before they took it to the wrecking yard, they asked if anyone wanted it. It was an old Chris Craft. And my dad said, sure, I'll take it. And so he had uh, some of his carpenters restore it. And so, yeah, so this one mechanic said, hey, you know, whatever happened to that boat? My dad says, well, we were going to bring it up to Lake Tahoe. But that didn't really work out. So we took it to this little town outside of Seattle called Edmonds. And that's where it is right now. And he said, you know what, Walt? He's like, I'm the guy that kept that boat afloat for five years. And I'm so glad that you got it. Because I knew that you would restore it well and treat it well. And I just wanted to say that. And so my dad thought, oh, that's cool, you know, really cool. Well, a week later, he was in Indianapolis getting on a flight to come back to L.A. And, as he 's getting on the flight, the guy in front of him actually yelled an expletive, and he said, "Oh no! My dad said "What he said i 'm looking at my phone, and there is this crazy storm coming in fast and furious and if we don't take off you know very soon, our flight's not going to leave, and we're going to be stuck here well, sure enough, seconds later, the pilot or the stewardesses and Everyone at the airport says, "Hey, we got to get on the plane really quick." So everybody sprinted on the plane, sat down. Pilot said, "We're going to get you out on the runway, and before the storm hits, so that we can all get to Atlanta, where everybody had connecting flights to go where they were going." Well, right as the plane was about to take off, uh, the pilot says, "I'm sorry, we didn't make it in time. You know, we're going to have to sit here and wait this out until the storm passes." Well, and I think an hour went by and uh and somebody had to leave the plane you know probably to go to the bathroom and the pilot said well you know there's a rule that if if somebody if we have to go back you know somebody has to get off anybody can get off if they'd like to and you can change your flight well my dad started looking at some he had missed his connection in Atlanta to get back to LA and so one thing led to another and He figured, you know what, I might as well go up to Seattle because he could get a flight there and I'll check on that little boat and uh, we'll see what's going on. So he ended up going to Seattle that night, didn't expect to. Well, when he got to Seattle, uh, he climbed into the boat and water, you know, was filling the bottom of the boat. And, you know, I don't know, it went up knee high. And so my dad, fast and furious, you know, got the pump I guess the automatic bilge pumps were not working. And so he got a a manual pump and started pumping the water out of there to save the boat. Well, if he wouldn't have gotten there that night at that moment, that boat would have sunk. The next day, um, he was on a tight schedule and he's trying to make repairs on the boat, running into roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Well, he's 90 minutes out from his next flight and a guy, an old man, 80-year-old man, from Denmark comes up to him in an ace hardware and he says sir can I be of service in any way to you and my dad just looks at him and he says well you know I've got this little boat over here and it's got a leak and I have to leave and I need someone to look after it and the guy says I'll look after your boat (laughs) and my dad's kind of floored his jaw drops And the guy goes on to tell him, I've worked with boats my whole career, and I'm retired now, but I like to have a few boats that I look after. Well, my dad gave him the information, told him what needed to be done. Over the next few days, this 80-year-old man did everything that needed to be done, was looking over that boat. And as my dad recounted the story to me, he said, son, sometimes life is just weird and crazy. And you have no idea why things are happening. And he says, I know God doesn't care about boats. But I can't deny that all of the events that happened that night, you know, only under those circumstances could I have gotten back to Seattle, which I had no plans on going there. And we saved that boat. And help was provided. And so maybe God doesn't care about boats, but maybe he cares about people. Maybe there's something that I don't understand of why that boat needs to be there, but it's there and it's safe and it's protected. So anyway, sometimes things happen in all of our lives that don't seem to make sense, uh, but you just go with it. And usually over time, they do start to make sense. So yeah, let's dig into the Lord's team of angels and a little more of their purpose as it pertains to the last days and as it pertains to us individually. Um, One thing that angels do is when you have an experience with angels, it can inspire confidence and increase your faith. President Joseph F. Smith received a vision uh, when he was a young missionary that gave him great confidence. And in the interest of time, I'm not going to recount the exact uh, experience, but he said... um, After it, he said, there was nothing, there was not anything in the world that I feared. I could meet any man or woman or child and look them in the face, feeling in my soul that I was a man of God every wit. That manifestation and witness that I enjoyed at that time made me what I am. If I am anything that is good or clean or upright before the Lord, if there is anything good in me, that has helped me out in every trial and through every difficulty. Um President Wilford Woodruff said he also was shown a vision uh in boyhood. He was visited by an angel who revealed many things to him. President Woodruff later stated that this personage was doubtless sent to me for the purpose of strengthening me and giving me encouragement in my labors. Um angels may be sent to us during times of trial and severe hardship. The following story recounted by President David O. McKay serves as a case in point of angels who assisted mortals in times of great need. President McKay cited the testimony of one Francis Webster, a member of the Martin Handcart Company, one of the pioneers. He says, and he quotes, I was in that company and my wife was in it. We suffered beyond anything you can imagine, and many died of exposure and starvation. I have pulled my hand cart when I was so weak and weary from illness and lack of food that I could hardly put one foot ahead of the other. I've looked ahead and seen a patch of sand or a hill slope, and I have said, I can go only that far, and there I must give up, for I cannot pull the load through it. I have gone on to that sand, and when I reached it, the cart began pushing me. I have looked back many times to see who was pushing my cart, but my eyes saw no one. I knew then that the angels of God were there. President Harold B. Lee explains that even Jesus, in his extremity, had need of ministering angels. He said, Sometimes when you're going through the most severe tests, You will be nearer to God than you have any idea. For like the experience of the master himself in the temptation on the mount, in the garden of Gethsemane, and on the cross at Calvary, the scriptures record, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. That's Matthew chapter 4 verse 11. Sometimes that may happen to you in the midst of your trials. Angels provide all sorts of temporal assistance um let's see here in our own dispensation president heber c kimball spoke of a time when he and brigham young traveled together and doing the lord's work they only had 13 dollars between the two of them but along the way they paid for travel lodgings and meals in fact they paid out more than 87 dollars President Kimball observed, Brother Brigham often suspected that I put the money in his trunk of clothes, thinking that I had money which I had not acquainted with him. But this was not so. The money could only have been put in his trunk by some heavenly messenger who administered to our necessities daily as he knew we needed it. President Wilford Woodruff and Brigham Young were conversing about various topics when the subject of miracles came up. President Young told uh, Wilford Woodruff, I have had a $5 gold piece put into my pocket now two days in succession. I do not know from what source it came from. Brother Kimball said it was an angel. Angels may save lives in peril. Occasionally, the angelic purpose is to warn, taught Elder Jeffrey R. Holland. Indeed, we have a number of scriptural accounts in which angels warned mortals or saved them from peril or even death. President Harold B. Lee confirmed that angels may on occasion save mortals from perilous circumstances. He said, If our problems be too great for human intelligence or too much for human strength, we too, if we are faithful and appeal rightly unto the source of divine power, might have standing by us in our hour of peril, or great need, an angel of God. The Lord sent two angels to destroy the wicked people of the city of Sodom. Before destroying the city, however, the angels provided protection to Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. When the wicked men of the city attempted to assault life, uh, Lot and his family, The angels smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. That's Genesis chapter 19, verse 11. The angels then instructed Lot to gather his family and to leave the city, because they said, we will destroy this place. The Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise. Take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of this city. Genesis chapter 19, verses 13 and 15. Another Old Testament passage refers to an angel who helps in times of peril. The author of Psalms uh, chapter 35, could have been David, pleaded with the Lord in prayer asking for help when his enemies fought against him plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive to that, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. That's Psalms chapter 35 verses 1 through 6. In this psalm, the one praying also seeks for the help of angels to chase and pursue suggests that the enemies Um, are fleeing from the angel. Angels will execute judgments and calamities in the last days. God has commissioned some of his angels to have authority over particular calamities, catastrophes, and disasters in the last days. These events, which are directed to the wicked, are collectively called God's judgments. And include a variety of such devastations as earthquakes, tornadoes, famines, wars, pestilences, scourges, plagues, tsunamis, hail, storms, whirlwinds, hurricanes, and much more. Many prophets and apostles, both ancient and modern, have spoken of these judgments. I think many of the Latter-day Saints, if you haven't already been acquainted with such calamities, Uh, soon will. I think we're all getting more familiar with things like earthquakes or tsunamis or hailstorms or hurricanes and much more. Why? Why these judgments from God through the angels? Well, possible purposes for God's judgments include the following. Number one, judgments are designed to motivate the wicked to repent. If the wicked do repent, and apply the atonement of Jesus Christ in their lives, then the judgments will have served a great purpose. Number two, judgments bring justice to those who refuse to repent. Mercy is part of God's plan of salvation, but so is justice. Number three, judgments also serve to prevent the wicked from continuing in wickedness, which would hurt both them and others. Number four, When the righteous witness that God is executing judgments upon the wicked, they are able to determine that God's promises regarding the balance between justice and mercy are being fulfilled. They witness that God is a fair and just God, rewarding the righteous and penalizing the wicked. Number five, judgments cleanse the earth for the sake of the righteous and for the return of Jesus Christ at his second coming. Despite the horrendous effects of various catastrophes, there is great hope for those who follow Christ and keep his commandments. God, who is perfectly holy, all-powerful, and all-knowing, uses his perfect wisdom to execute judgments upon the wicked. When he administers justice to the wicked, we can be assured that that is best for both the wicked and the righteous. God is in perfect control of these judgments. He can destroy and save according to his divine plans. A number of scriptural passages indicate um, that certain of the Lord's angels execute judgments upon the wicked. These passages include symbols and figurative language, and we cannot always determine what is symbolic and what is literal. The angels' trumpets and bowls, for example, are probably symbolic rather than literal. Um, there are four Representative passages. Number one, angels in the last days will serve as reapers, as explained in Matthew chapter 13. After Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and tares, his disciples asked for an interpretation. Jesus' interpretation was plain and to the point. The sower is Christ himself, the field represents the world, the good and bad seed represents the righteous and the wicked people of the world. The enemy represents Satan. The reapers at harvest time are the angels of God, and the harvest symbolizes the end of the world. Um, Second, seven angels um, will execute God's judgments, as foretold in Revelation chapter 8. Third, three angels of judgment um, are described in Revelation chapter 14. And fourth, seven angels with seven plagues, as described in Revelation chapter 15. So, um, as recorded in Revelation chapter 8, several events occur in the temple of heaven when Christ opens the seventh and final seal. John witnessed that the seven angels received seven trumpets. In verse 6, he sees them prepare to blow their trumpets. And in verse 7, the first angel blows his trumpet. The chief goal of these angels is to prepare for the second coming of Christ. The sounding of the trumpets of the seven angels are the preparing and finishing of God's work. The preparing of the way before the time of Christ's coming, as it says in D&C, section 77, verse 12. This sounding of trumpets will occur in the beginning of the seventh thousand years. DNC, section 77, also verse 12. Well, these seven angels may be the same seven angels identified in Revelation 15 who pour out seven plagues upon the earth's inhabitants. Apocryphal sources actually name the seven angels as Uriel, Raphael, Raguel, Michael, Serechel, Gabriel, and Remiel. That's in First Enoch chapter 20. All of these names end in the particle L, which means God. One source depicts one angel stating, I am Raphael, one of the seven holy angels, which present the prayers of the saints and which go in and out before the Holy One. Luke 1.19 records, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. And we know Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael from modern-day Revelation. Great destructions occur upon the earth at the sounding of each trump. For instance, the first angel sounds his trump. There followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Besides these seven angels, other angels will also herald significant events. The Lord sends his angels to assist in the gathering of his elect. If you feel yourself being gathered or being moved from one place to another, uh, there's a good chance that those events might not be coming at you. Uh, I have experienced that over the last month. Many circumstances have arisen far outside of my control that caused us to move uh, houses, change neighborhoods when we had no intention of doing so. Do we know why? We have no idea why. But yet our trust and our faith is in the Lord and our job is to diligently seek for the confirmations of the Holy Ghost, to seek after revelation. And as we do, um, hopefully, our hope is that we will be gathered uh, to those areas where we are meant to be. Uh, for purposes that may remain yet unknown. The scripture states, The Son of Man shall come, and he shall send his angels before him with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the remainder of his elect from the four winds, from the one end of the heaven to the other. That's in Joseph Smith Matthew chapter 1 verse 37.